little help here. That is what we're talking about for these first Sundays in January, thinking about places in our lives where we could use some help. We might not always talk about it. We might not always acknowledge it. But what are resources and uh, spiritual means for finding help in those places? About a month, a couple of months ago now, our pastors sent to our staff a whole list of possible topics. And we said, we want you to pick five that speak to you. What are five areas of need that you would appreciate hearing a message on? And then not only for you, but other people, um, friends of yours, people, maybe they don't even go to church. What would be meaningful and relevant to them? And they, the, the top five out of what they identified were topics like anxiety, uh, apathy, grief, coping with change, and then our topic for today, making big decisions. Now, I got to be honest, this fifth one that we're starting with, uh, I kind of thought, really? I mean, Will most people in the church be wrestling with some big decision this year? I mean, I think that's just, it's going to be a small fraction of people. Well, you proved me wrong. I sent an email out a few weeks ago asking if you would let me know if you're wrestling or anticipate wrestling with a big decision this year. And I heard from you. A number of you sent back emails, and these are the top decisions you're struggling with. Number one, whether to retire. I was surprised how many of you are, are wrestling with retirement. A lot of people would say, what's the big difference? I mean, how can you not look forward to retiring? There's a lot of angst with this. Somebody wrote this in the email. If I retire now, I'm not sure what will fill my time. I also want to make sure we don't run out of money during retirement. That leads to the second big decision, financial decisions. I got one email that just had three words, filing for bankruptcy. Somebody else uh, said they're having to revise their will based on some things that have happened in the family. One person wrote me and said, I'm 65 years old. My rent is going up $200 a month this year, and I'm having to change jobs. So retirement is not an option. The decision is, how am I going to survive? Um, others said they've got decisions for, to make for uh, concerns about family and friends, people they're taking care of, people they're concerned about, or decisions that for them might not be a struggle. Do I move? Do I take this job? But then they wonder, how is it going to impact people they love? Other decisions related to leaving their home where God wants to use them, health-related decisions. We also had a judge in our church who uh, wrote this line, I am daily confronted with the decision to send someone to prison or allow probation. <laughs> Every day, weighty decisions. As I read these emails, I remembered something a professor in seminary told me. He said, you're going to stand in a pulpit and look out at smiling faces, and they're going to look like they're listening intently to you. But remember this, 50% of their thoughts are in another place. Wondering if God is going to help them with some big problem they have. Well, I hope this series will go to those places and let you know that God is there too and help you find some help and encouragement for facing whatever that is. So big decisions. 
What are the spiritual resources we have for facing big decisions? I want to talk about a little-known story in the Old Testament today, and it's one that I would be shocked if more than a handful of you have ever heard this story before. It's about the Urim and Thummim. The Urim and Thummim. This was the ancient practice of the Israelites for seeking God's direction in making decisions. But what were the Urim and Thummim? They were part of the high priest garment. Let's take a look at the high priest garment. Uh, it was quite elaborate. You had the robe that was the first piece. At the bottom of the robe, along the hem of the garment, that was very significant. There were tassels, and the high priest also had bells. Now, you can't see this at the bottom of this one, so this is kind of a bonus for you today. What were the bells for? There was a room only one person on earth could enter one day a year, the Holy of Holies in the temple. It's where the Ark of the Covenant was kept. This is where, on the Day of Atonement, the high priest could enter that space. Why the bells? So that you could hear that the high priest was doing okay. He's in there carrying out the functions. You hear the bells ringing. But what if he has a heart attack? What if he like drops in the Holy of Holies? No one else can go in there. There was a rope tied around his leg that went out from under the curtain. You stop hearing the bells ringing, you pull him out of there. You don't go in there. Okay, that's extra credit. So what else is on the garment? You have the ephod. And, of course, the, uh, the high priest would carry a scepter. And then, very importantly, on the ephod, over the heart, is the breastplate. On the breastplate are 12 colorful gemstones, and each one bore the name of the tribe of Israel. So that the high priest was to carry over his heart the people. And then what you don't see in this diagram is what's hidden behind the breastplate. There's a secret pouch. And inside the secret pouch are two objects that were known as the Urim and Thummim. Now, we don't know exactly what they were. They are lost to us in history. Many speculate that they were little stones, almost like dice that you would roll. And one of them said Urim and the other said Thummim. We don't really know for sure what the words mean. Some say it meant like light and darkness or perfection and imperfection. Others say no, it was simpler than that. One said yes, one said no. One said true, one said false. Honestly, we don't know for sure. What we know is that this was a very real practice in ancient Israel when the king when a leader, when someone had a big question they wanted God's advice on, they would appeal to the Urim and Thummim. High priest reaches in the secret pouch, pulls it out, lets them know. The king says, I need to know, do we go to war? The high priest would pull it out, let the king know. Is this person telling me the truth or are they lying? The high priest would let them know. Now, let me just ask you, do you wish you had that? Do you wish when you're wrestling with a big decision, that you could go to the pastor and say, I need the Urim and Thummim. Should I retire? And the pastor rolls the dice and goes, eh, you need to work a little bit more. Sorry about that. Do I take this job? Do I marry this person? Wouldn't that be great? 
Truth is, I get a lot of people who do come and see me with those questions, and they want to know, Rob, I need God's advice. I need some help. What do I do about this? And that's when I wish I had the Urim and Thummim. <laughs> I wish I had the secret pouch, and I could pull it out and roll the dice and go, here's what you do, and pat you on the back, and you could leave my office really happy, like, oh, gosh, I know what God wants me to do now. I don't have that. You don't have that. So why would I pick this story? To talk about two objects that we don't have anymore. To think about what spiritual help do we have in making big decisions? Well, it's because if we really think deeply about these objects... There are some lessons there that, that do help us. And one of the first, perhaps most obvious lessons is that the Urim and Thummim teach us to turn to God in decision-making. That's really obvious, isn't it? But when somebody appealed to the Urim and Thummim, they were saying, I want God's help. Psychologists tell us we all make about 35,000 decisions a day. Isn't that incredible? Almost all of those we are not even conscious of. Our brains are doing the work for us. Uh, get out of bed. Put on your slippers. What shirt should I wear? All of these things, our brains are making decisions for us. But now every now and then we hit a decision that we do think about. We're very conscious of it because we don't know what to do. And they pause us. And the best decisions made in those moments are the ones that we don't just hold them up here. We pull them down to our hearts. The Urim and Thummim were to be kept over the heart of the priest. We bring them into that place that symbolizes our desire to seek God. And that is really important. Because when you bring God into the equation, whether you started out intending this or not, what you're doing is asking in your big decision, not just what is good for me, but what's good for God. What might God want? There's a story about a woman who used to go out every day to sell things that she made. She'd put them in a big pack. She would walk. And whenever she came to a fork in the road, she didn't know where to go. She'd throw a stick in the air, and whichever way it pointed, that's where she went. One day, this guy watched her do that like three times. She threw the stick up. And he walked over to her and said, do you mind if I ask, well, what are you doing? She said, I'm seeking the Lord's direction. Every time I throw a stick in the air, whichever way it points, I believe that's which way God wants me to go. He said, okay, but you threw it up three different times. She said, well, that's because the first two times the Lord pointed the wrong way. We're all a bit like that, aren't we? Aren't we all a little bit like, I want the Lord to point the direction that's going to lead where I really want to go, that's going to lead to my success and my happiness and my well-being and my comfort, because if it doesn't, if I make a decision and I just, I so thought that's where God wanted me to go, and that doesn't turn out real quick, I'm going to say, what went wrong? What happened to God there? Did I miss the signal? 
you know, uh, is God even reliable in helping me make decisions? But what if? What if God does guide us sometimes? And it is a God direction we go in, and it doesn't mean it's easy. What if God guides us in directions that aren't always successful the way we were looking for, that maybe are difficult and challenging? What if that's part of a God direction? You see, when we bring God into the equation, what we're doing is saying, as much as I want pleasant things in my life, there's something I want even more. I want to honor God. Years ago, I had a woman on my church staff. This was when I lived in North Carolina. And she always had a dream of living in the mountains one day. So she and her family moved up to the mountains. We had an opening on our church staff that was the same kind of job she had done at a Methodist church in Georgia. We hired her. It was going great, except for her family. It was not a good move for them. And they finally came to the very difficult decision of moving back to Georgia. And this was really painful for this woman. She went to a wise woman in our church and she poured her heart out to her. She just, through tears, said, I don't understand what went wrong. I prayed and prayed about this. Things just opened up for us. I mean, this is where I always wanted to live. I'm serving God in the way I've always wanted to serve. It doesn't work out. I don't get it. And after listening to her for a while, this woman said, you know, you can serve God wherever you are. Now, that is so simple and so obvious, but it was transformative for this woman. Because one thing she realized is that her dream of living there was not her family's dream. And she actually had a bigger and more important dream than where she lived, and that was her family. And if it was not best for her family, then it wasn't best for her. And then she was able to embrace going back because she realized, of course, God can use me wherever I go. And that's what I really want in my life. Having a certain address is not the most important thing. It's about being where God can use me. And so she was able to embrace going back. The Urim and Thummim teach us a very simple point to seek, to go looking for God's help in decision-making because what it does is it pauses us from just examining the decision from what's going to be in our best interest. And how can God use it for God's glory? Now, there's another lesson here, which is we don't have magic dice today, but we do have resources. Think about it just for a moment. The Urim and Thummim went out of practice shortly after the period of King David. We don't know exactly when. It just stops getting mentioned in the Bible. You certainly don't read about it again in the New Testament. But God continued to provide resources. God gave the people prophets. 
who told them God's will. God sent Jesus Christ to be the living demonstration of God's will. And what did Jesus promise his followers? I will send you the Holy Spirit, the counselor who will guide you. See, God is always giving us resources, and we have them right now. Scripture, that's a resource. But it's not a magic die. Some people treat the Bible that way. They have a big decision. They open it up and go, what does it say? That's going to be the answer to my question. Now, maybe it works that way for some people sometimes. There are a lot of jokes about that. But for Scripture to be really helpful to us, it's when we read it and we begin to hold it in our heart. And we allow God to speak through these words as we understand them better and better, what they mean when we take things like disciple Bible study and other classes where we learn what does the Bible mean. And then we begin to appreciate how God uses ancient words to give very modern relevance to us. Another resource, prayer. But again, prayer is not like magic dice. Some people do that. They they have a big decision. They pray, God, I need a sign. Do I do this? And they look up and like the clouds are written out. Yes. I mean, I'm not going to discount it. For some people that happens sometime. It has never happened to me. And I know a lot of people for whom that never happens. But I tell you what I find is the more I pray, the more I become attuned to God's signals all the time. Now, again, this is my experience. If I'm wrestling with a big decision and I'm praying to God about it, I really don't know what to do here, Lord. I am stumped. I need your help. Guide me. I don't know that I've ever received an answer in those moments. I don't know when I'm in the posture of prayer that I feel something where God says, this is what you do. I, I just don't. But I become aware when I'm not thinking about it, when I'm not praying, I become aware of times when, when God gives me what I call God nudges. This, this just a, a little nudge like, hey, I'm, I want to talk to you right now. Here's something. And sometimes I don't even realize it until I get past the moment and I stop and go, wait, wait, what just happened there? I think God was telling me something. When I was deciding whether to go into ministry, it was a tough decision. No one in my family had ever been a pastor. I had no kind of model for how you go about making this decision. It seemed like a pretty big decision. I certainly didn't feel worthy. How do I know if what I'm feeling is right? I would pray. Nothing would come. But you know what happened is it got me praying more and more. And then I became sensitive to things like God speaking in other times. And what I found over a number of events was God saying to me, don't be afraid, don't be afraid. I finally kind of woke up one day and realized, I think I'm getting an answer. Don't be afraid, say yes. Prayer is a resource we have. One more resource, at least uh, three I would offer, there are many others, is the counsel of a wise friend. Do you have people in your life who are spiritually grounded, they're wise, they care about you, they don't have an agenda for you, who you can pour out what's going on with a decision and they can just listen and then mirror back what they hear? 
When this has happened with me, I've had people a few times when I just sort of go through a tough decision, everything about it, pros and cons, somebody will listen, and then after I finish talking, they'll say, you know, Rob, I've been listening all this time. I heard you give every reason not to do such and such. And I'll go, really? (laughs) Yeah, that's what I heard. And then I'll think about it and go, you know, I think that's right. Sometimes we need other people to hear us when we can't hear ourselves. So we have practical tools. We don't have to go to a high priest. God wants to reveal God's self to us directly all the time. Look at this verse where the Bible says to us, God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he's not far from any of us. One more thought about the Urim and Thummim, a lesson we can consider, is there's no decision we can get so wrong that it removes us from God's will. That should be freeing to us. Because sometimes we turn God's will into a bullseye and you either hit it or you don't, right? You either get it that this is what God wants you to do or you don't get it. And if you don't get it, oh my gosh, what's going to happen as a result of that? God's will is much bigger and broader. God works through everything. Even if we look back and say that was a bad decision, it's not so bad that God couldn't turn it into something good. And teach us something through it. Leslie Weatherhead once said, Not everything that happens is God's will, but nothing can happen which finally defeats his will. So let me close telling you about St. Ignatius of Loyola. He was born in Nigo Lopez of Spain. And like a lot of young men in his day, he was kind of a, well, a word I grew up learning, a rounder. <laughs> He grew up having fun. Life was about him and whatever he could get out of life and having a good time. That's what he was about. Then he went into the military. He fought in battle and got injured. And he had to go back home to recover. And in his recovery, his his mind started shifting. He wanted to read books about great war heroes. People who, who were courageous, gave him something to look up to. But nobody could find any books like that. So what they brought him were books of saints and a book about the life of Jesus. As he read these books, he paid attention to what was going on in his heart. He said, as I read these studies of people who gave their lives for God's purpose, he felt peace. And when he thought about getting better so he could go join his old friends and start having fun again, he realized he had had an emptiness about that. Now, that's very important for Ignatius, peace and emptiness. He goes into the priesthood. He comes out of a seminary and then says, God, I need to know what you want me to do. Where do you want me to go? And he felt God gave him a very clear answer. Go to Jerusalem. I want you to go to the sites of holy shrines. I want you to learn. I want you to study. I want you to help other people. So he did. Study, help other people. That's what he wanted to do. So he goes to Jerusalem. He had been there a year, and then things got unsafe. (laughs) 
It's happened in that part of the world for a long, long time. Because he was a Franciscan monk, the order of Franciscans ordered him to come back home because they said, we can't protect you. So he goes back to Barcelona, Spain, and does what he felt like was the only job left for him, teaching young boys grammar. Now, this was really frustrating to him because he thought he was just wasting his life. He, he felt like, I was doing what God wanted me to do. That was clear, and now it's not clear, and I feel like I'm wasting my time. But in this time, he thought, I do love education, I do love to study, I do love to learn. So he started learning about spiritual practices as he taught. And eventually he felt led to leave Barcelona, he went to France. He became friends of a man named Francis Xavier, for whom Xavier University is named. They formed a little community with four other friends, just six of them. And they made as their goal to live with Jesus as their companion. That was their focus. They appealed to the Pope to allow them to start a new order. And they began the order of the Jesuits. That's how it began. Ignatius continued to write about his spiritual learnings and practices. And he wrote down things that have been so helpful to people today about decision-making and seeking God's will. He talked about consolation and desolation. Consolation is that which gives you peace. It doesn't mean it's easy. It doesn't mean it's going to be simple. But you would have a sense in your heart what's the right thing to do and what you know is in God's will, what helps you serve and honor God. And then on the other side, there are those things that you do out of your own self-interest, and you know that it brings a certain emptiness. Those writings have been very helpful for people today. Think about the path that brought them about. And experience a feeling like he was in God's will going to Jerusalem. And it didn't turn out to be what he thought. And he goes to a job that he really didn't think was God's will. And all through it was God weaving something to be of help and blessing to other people. I don't know what you're facing at the start of this 2024. What big decisions are ahead of you. You are obviously facing some because some of you wrote me about them. Just know that as you bring your decision from here to here and you welcome God into it, you will be helped, you will be encouraged. And as you seek to decide what helps you to honor and to serve God, even if that decision doesn't take you where you thought it would, you don't know yet what God is fully going to do with it. Lord, as we begin this year here in worship today, may we begin trusting that you meet us in all of our decisions as we welcome you. You don't always write the answer on a piece of paper before us, but you nudge us, you whisper to us, you guide us, you give us very real tools to help. And as we become open to letting you move through us and we seek to make honoring you the number one goal, you will guide us in places that help us make decisions that are fulfilling, not always easy, not always successful the way we wanted, but they are fulfilling and they are rewarding. And our ultimate goal, Lord, is to live a meaningful life and to know that the people who are a part of our lives all share in the decisions we make. It impacts others. 
None of us have the freedom of making decisions that affect no one else. Everything we do affects others. So continue to speak to us and guide us in this year and know that we are never without your help. In Christ's name, amen.